0: to another edition of truth or rhythm this is an interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove i'm your host scott gx goldfine musicologist and author of everything is on the one the first guy to funk there it is if you don't have your copy get on over to amazon and pick one up you'll be glad you did if you're watching the video or listening to the audio podcast i thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the program. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe. Do so to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. So we appreciate that support. Featured in this episode is keyboardist, guitarist, singer, composer, Gail Chapman, who was among the very first band members, Prince, auditioned and hired back in 1978 following the release of his debut album, For You. As the only female group member, she toured with Prince into 1980. The band, which was a precursor to the revolution, also included Andre Simone, Des Dickerson, Bobby Z, and Matt Dr. Fink. These were important foundational years for Prince when he also released his self-titled sophomore album and the sexually charged and controversial Dirty Mind. Notable tracks from the period included Soft and Wet, just as long as we're together. I Want to Be Your Lover, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad, I Feel For You, Bambi, Sexy Dancer, Uptown, When You Were Mine, and Head. It was performing the final song, Head, that led to Chapman leaving the group as she felt uncomfortable with its sexu- sexually explicit language and theme. Before that took place though, the lineup that included Chapman cut an unreleased studio project under the moniker of the Rebels in 1979. Two songs from those sessions were eventually released in re-recorded versions. There was You by Paula Abdul and If You Love Me Tonight, recorded by Mika Paris, and later by Prince's wife, Maite Garcia. Chapman was replaced in Prince's lineup by Lisa Coleman. Chapman went on to a lifetime mostly outside the mainstream music industry. She did, however, continue writing and teaching music, as well as working with some other artists. In 2003, she released a self-titled folk music-flavored album of her own. In this extensive interview, Chapman talks about being chosen by and working with one of the most creative forces music has ever known. She provides stories from the road that include French kissing Prince on stage, sharing a bill with Rick James, and appearing on American Bandstand. She also talks about how and why she left Prince's group before he rose to superstardom. She talks about what she did in the aftermath, how news of his death in 2016 impacted her, and her current musical, Reawakening. So, without further ado, let's travel back to a hard to fathom time when most of the world was still yet unaware of how a diminutive, Minneapolis genius would forever change the face of music and the classically trained white girl from neighboring Duluth who would help send him on his way. Enjoy. Here's Gail Chapman. Hey, I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, one of Prince's very first professional band members, keyboardist, guitarist, singer-composer, Gail Chapman. Gail, thanks for joining me. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. Where are you coming to us from? Boise, Idaho. I've
1: been here for 32 years.
0: Wow. That's one state I've not gotten to.
1: It's beautiful. It's still growing, too. We have lots of people from California that are moving up here now.
0: I think Californians move everywhere. I mean, I came from California, now I'm in North Carolina, but yeah.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You're still south. Right now, it is a pleasant um, 18 degrees. (laughs) I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think you're kidding about it being uh, cold, but the 18, I believe.
1: No, it's 18 degrees, and I don't like cold weather, but here I am anyway, nonetheless.
0: Wow, so there's more there than potatoes.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) A lot of people are built low to the ground because they pick potatoes, but never mind. (laughs) Like they say, this is one of the first things I heard when I moved here. Was uh, "You to Pimp
0: Idaho"? (laughs) I never heard that one. So there you go. Well, there you go. All right, I learned something already. Um, So uh, ready to mix it up and get into some questions and to uh, test test your memory bank? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. great. I'm ready. All right. So. You're in Idaho now, but where did you grow up, and uh, did you have a musical childhood? How did you find your way into music?
1: Um, I grew up, let's see, I was born in San Diego, but I was raised in Minnesota. There was a brief stint in Midland, Michigan, where my sister was born before moving to Minnesota uh, for my father's job, and um, he raised us in Duluth and it was also very cold there. But um, I moved to Minneapolis. I did have a musical childhood. Uh, my mother was a classical cellist and worked in the symphony and she was a wonderful musician. She had her masters in music and she was kind of the person that got me started. My dad was in the Navy and had a little teeny ukulele that he used to play. So um, I borrowed it once and started playing it. Um, And then I sat on it accidentally and broke it. And then I hid it from him and tried to repair it and presented it back to him with my repair work saying, see, it's okay. (laughs) It kind of went over, but Anyway, my mom is the one who uh, really inspired me and I grew up listening to a lot of classical music and opera and um, I took voice lessons as a kid. Uh, I started when I was 11, I think, and um, had some really great teachers. And at 14, I was the youngest person to sing in the opera chorus in Duluth when the Metropolitan Opera would come through town and, um, that was a really cool experience. And one of the best classes in high school for me was, um, uh, choir. I always got a's in choir. <laughs> so then I moved to Minneapolis.
0: So your own personal taste. So what, um, what were sort of the first, uh, more popular um, types of music that you gravitated towards?
1: Well, after I began to be aware of other forms of music other than opera and, and classical music, I uh, started to listen to AM radio, top 40, uh, top 40 music, and I didn't like it at all. And then I heard the Rolling Stones and thought, I really don't like them but everybody was really crazy about them. And then there was uh, some jazz musicians like Ronnie Laws that I started to pay attention to. I really liked him. And then that kind of introduced me to George Duke and then other percussionists that worked with him and um, McCoy Tyner and the black music and then of course on to Detroit music. And it it was just, uh, it was that kind of direction I fed into. And um, I really enjoyed funk and soul and the black community in general. I thought they were really cool. And there were very few black people, much less black musicians in Duluth, Minnesota. There was one, who sang in a trio and I ended up when she would get sick, she would call me and I'd go down and sing in her stead. So that was, that was fun. Did,
0: did you feel <laughs> comfortable on stage? Um, how did you take to performing?
1: Performing was my, the first time I performed in front of a crowd, I, I was in junior high school. Um, and it was nerve-wracking i played an instrumental on a 12-string guitar that i'd written and um, i remember sitting there the spotlight came on and i could see nothing it was a full house i knew that because i'd seen it fill up and i couldn't see anyone or anything and this bright light on my face so all i could do was look down at my guitar and play and i made it through it and got up after, you know, I got a standing ovation, which really blew me away. And I was so nervous, my knees started to get really shaky and I walked off stage and I fell onto my knees backstage. And somebody caught my guitar. It was like, whoa, that was, that was something. <laughs> it was uh, my first experience. But after that, I got better. And I learned um, from other people that it's okay to look at your audience. It took me a long time to get comfortable with that because um, I've always been pretty much an introvert, but I think what performers eventually learn is that we have this alter ego. Uh, I can think specifically of someone else who was kind of like that was Morris Day of the time, who when I first met him, didn't have two words to say. And I never, ever would have guessed he would have been a front man, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you learn to practice your act and your character
0: and put it out there. The falling to the knees thing, you should have, like, done that on stage. have been like a James Brown kind of thing, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I didn't know about knee pads then. (laughs) (laughs) Knee pads are helpful when you're going to drop to your knees all the time. I mean, I watched people do that, and I would try it, and it's like, mm, no, ouch. <laughs> there are better things to do. I mean, I took ballet for seven years as a as a child, and um, we got to the toe section, and I went, mm, no, ow, <laughs> not doing that.
0: I don't know how they do that. Um, <clears throat> so – Gail, what um, experiences did you get into, you know, prior to connecting with Prince? You know, can you lead us up to, you know, just prior of that?
1: Um, Yeah. I spent a good deal of my growing up time um, coordinating other groups uh, there was a female vocal group in high school that I backed up and taught how to do their act. They, they wanted to sing together and they were really good with harmonies and where they had trouble. I had a really, I've always had a really incredibly good ear and um, that slowed my progress with regard to reading music and writing and understanding that process. But um, I've always been able to say no, this is how the music moves and this is how you want your harmonies to move and uh, So I would help this group and then um, I would volunteer my time to do stuff like that And then I would eventually get asked by another group around Duluth that was I forget I I Apologize if you guys ever see this, but I don't remember who you were but <laughs> they had me um lead their practices and become band leader and work with them um, but basically when i would play music i did a lot of folk music that's kind of where my beginnings on the guitar were i was nine when i started playing the guitar uh, my cousin showed up to live with us with uh, a handmade mexican guitar that she eventually gave to me but she taught me my first chords and taught me to play uh, Dona, Dona, Dona by Joan Baez. And <laughs> from, there, from there, I learned to play all kinds of stuff. Um, my, m- over the years, I've been in lots of rock bands. Uh, I remember trying out for my first band as a guitar player um, with some some band in Minnesota, that was called Moonlight Wave. And um, we would play in the bars across the bridge from Duluth in Superior, Wisconsin. Uh, Superior was a small town with uh, a 12-block area that had like 96 bars on it. And every one of them had music. So uh, there was always places to play. And I would play there. And uh, But I started out with this band. I, I um, auditioned as a guitar player. And the guy said, well, I'm playing the guitar in this band. Do you play piano? And I said, yeah. And I wasn't really taking it too seriously then, even though I had had lessons most of my childhood. um, I'd never thought of playing piano professionally. And so I, um, I said, yeah, and he said, well, play something for me. And I went over and I played Morning Has Broken on the piano. He goes, you're hired. You start tomorrow. You have a keyboard. I went, no, (laughs) I had to go buy a keyboard and my first keyboard was one of those Wurlitzer rock pianos with 66 keys. And that's what I banged out all my one, four, five chord progressions on, which was really quite different than learning to play classical music on the piano. So.
0: Now, how about how far is Duluth from Minneapolis? Uh,
1: 150 miles, three-hour drive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I moved there at uh, how old was I? I think I was 21. No, I was 20 when I moved down there. It was January, and it was snowing, and my my mother had purchased a car for me. It was a um, Volkswagen Squareback, one of those old Volkswagen Squarebacks and the uh, wipers froze. So I would be driving down the freeway with one arm out the window, scraping the windshield so I could see. I had blankets over my lap so I wouldn't freeze to death. And uh, I made it though. And I moved into a rental with a bunch of people I didn't know when I got to Minneapolis.
0: Do you think um, that environment you know, with the kind of, uh, I guess it's like eight month winters almost there, um, <laughs> lends itself to, you know, sort of uh, really sequestering yourself and focusing on something like music and playing instruments.
1: I think any kind of musical um, dreams or aspirations requires that you, spend time working on it and i think i did pretty much when i didn't have to work because i had to find a job and i worked at the marriott hotel as a maid and i would spend my time singing at the top of my lungs while vacuuming and cleaning toilets and um I i can't remember what else i did while i was down there but Um, That was the one job I remember that I had before I moved to North Minneapolis and moved into a house with um, another person. There was just two of us. I lived upstairs. He lived downstairs. And we had opposite hours that we worked. So when he was at work, I would be playing music as loud as I could and practicing. And I met. Uh, Charles Smith, Prince's cousin, and uh, he would come over and play drums and we'd jam. And I had all my keyboards set up and my, my, um, uh, stereo system. See, I can't even remember what a stereo system is anymore.
0: <laughs> hi <High> fi. <five. laughs>
1: yeah. hi fi <five>, That's it. <laughs> Oops. Wrong. Don't do that. Sorry. I'm trying to get rid of this thing on my screen
0: uh um, There we go. What types of music were you, your uh, songs were you playing at that point?
1: Um. Well, I was playing as much funky stuff as I could, and I loved writing my own little things. So I would, I would take. Take my hints from other keyboard players that I'd hear in other bands, like Bootsy Collins, you know, the band, and um, I can't remember the names of groups anymore, and I apologize, but I um, there were a lot of people that I would listen to purposely. Because I guess one of the ones that really caught my attention was Rufus and Shaka Khan, and Rufus's keyboard player had some really great riffs that he would do on his clavinet and i had a clavinet and i loved it so i would i would try and copy a lot of those things but um i think i just loved music when i would pick up my guitar i would play anything i could think of my tendency is jazz or folk or rock when I write, it's primarily jazz or folk or rock. And I have recently in the last few years written some country tunes and I don't care. It's what comes out. I don't judge it. I just do it, you know, there's no point in limiting yourself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It is, you are what you are and you do what you do, I guess. So, but back then It was through charles that i actually was introduced um well charles and his friends uh his friends brought me one of prince's or prince's first cd and uh that was that was how i learned of prince so and i didn't know charles was his cousin until um one day i i asked him do you do you know this guy? And he says, "Yeah, he's my cousin." I said, "What? <laughs> Great! Does he have a band?"
0: <laughs> what 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 did you think of when you heard that first Prince album for you?
1: I loved it. So, I, I absolutely loved it. That's the one. I put it on. I thought, "Yeah, okay, I'll listen for it. Listen to it." And then, um, I turned it up, turned it way up, and um, it was phenomenal what I heard on it. And, um, I had it up really loud and it was late at night and
0: it was in the middle of
1: listening to, I think it was for you that, um, I mean, it was so loud that I couldn't have carried on a conversation much less heard the phone ring or anything. That's how loud I used to play stuff. Um, and uh, i had a i had a, an experience that i would call supernatural i was standing there listening to it really paying attention and a voice spoke to me that came down through the sky like this through my head and out the other side and it said in order for him to tour he's going to need a band and i turned the music down and i looked around and i went I heard that. <laughs> and that's pretty much when I started asking questions. And when I saw Charles the next time, I said, Does he have a band? And he says, No, he's doing auditions though. And I said, And you knew about this for how long? And he said, Well, he's, you know, a few weeks. And I said, Um, why didn't you tell me? And he said, Well, I thought you were playing with somebody already. I said, so what? (laughs) I want to go. So, uh, he got me, he got me in for an audition. And that was an interesting experience as well. I remember, uh, going into the living room in house in Prince's house on France Avenue in Edina, Minnesota. And he, uh, he was nowhere to be seen because he was downstairs with Andre and and Bobby doing the auditions and all these people were in the room you know and most of them were young girls young ladies and they all were dressed to the nines I was uh, the quintessential granola queen and I was wearing a blue jean tent dress flip-flops and um, a head <laughs> When I walked in, I'm going, oh shit, I'm kinda out of luck here, I think. <laughs> so I waited my turn and I went down and they're looking at me, giving me the odd ball. Like, oh God, what's what's this? And I look at them and I just smiled and they said, oh, there's the keyboard. And I said, okay, and I said, follow this. And, they, and so I'm like thinking in my head, I was actually cursing in my head and I, and you know, I was like, Christ, I hate jams. And um, I, I played through it and I thought, I've I, I really botched this. And so I thought, well, let me turn this around on them. So I said, hey, that was great, follow this. So I started one and they had to follow me. and um, And then I got done and that was it. I went home. Heard nothing. Heard nothing. (laughs) For three months, I heard nothing. (laughs) And um, I was taking a nap one afternoon and I got a phone call and it was Prince. He said in that lovely monotone voice of his, hello, Gail, this is Prince. What are you doing right now? (laughs) Well, I was sleeping, but how are you? So he invited me to rehearsal and I showed up at rehearsal an hour later and that's how that started.
0: So then did did he interact with you at all at the audition or I wasn't clear on that.
1: Did he interact? He was at the audition and he played guitar. So um, you know, I think the theory was if they could start a jam, and if somebody could hang with that musical jam, because they were, they were funksters and they would, they wanted to see if people could hang and do the funk with them. And apparently I passed, but it took them three months to, to call me. And I think part of that was because I mean, unbeknownst to me was um, Andre's sister actually started working with them that was kind of an and it was probably an an obvious or or easy choice and familial because they all knew each other really well i didn't know anything about it i was just hanging out for three months going to work i think then i was living in bloomington uh, bloomington minnesota delivering pizzas
0: well, and for viewers, we're talking about Andre's Andre Simone, Prince's bass player at the time right. Yeah. Um, so when you left that audition though, did you feel real good and high about it or were you just kind of unsure?
1: I was unsure. i I left feeling like I have no clue because they really didn't give me any any and poker heads, heads down or <laughs> you know they they were pretty straight faced. I'm like, Well, you know, maybe they're looking for one of those babes upstairs, because I sure didn't pass that bill.
0: (laughs) It's interesting that you didn't have to play anything off that for you album, though.
1: No, um, well, there was no instruction to show up for an audition. There was, they didn't, I wasn't told to learn anything. Um, which is quite different from from matt matt had to actually learn stuff, but i was yeah, told yeah. nothing
0: yeah i think he had to learn yeah. soft and wet right
1: yeah yeah
0: and yeah.
1: i remember having a conversation with him when he auditioned he said i he looked at me and he said how did you how did you end up getting in here and i said, well, i auditioned like you did but and I, they basically did a jam with me and I said, it took three months before I heard back from them. but I, were, you know, like you, I wanted to try out. He says, I really want to play in this band. And I said, then believe you've got the job. Next thing you know, he's in the band. So that was cool. And that was, I think, I think we did that in Peppy's Peppy Willie's basement. So.
0: Well, I think it was your advantage that you had gotten adept at the keyboards, then, because I mean, that first record, especially, was very keyboard heavy. A Soft and Wet was such a keyboard driven song, um, for example. And that's a for I heard Prince for the first time with that song, and I was hooked right away. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So after they said uh, you're you're in if you want to be in, uh, what was it like when you, you know, first showed up? How long after that? did you actually get together and start doing something?
1: One hour later, Wow! (laughs) I had one hour to make it to rehearsal. And it usually takes probably 45 minutes to get from Bloomington to um, where the rehearsal place was in seven corners of Minneapolis, which is, if I remember correctly, it's a part of the university area. I mean, besides finding parking and, you know, I had to load up all my gear, which back then was some really heavy equipment that I had to load by myself and then make it down to the rehearsal place and haul it in. And the rehearsal place was in uh, Steve Raitt's tire shop. Bonnie Raitt's brother. He had a Goodyear tire shop down there. And that's where we were practicing. So I made it in under an hour and showed up uh, with my keyboard in my hand and literally kicked the door open. (laughs) So nobody was there. It was just kick it open and walk in which is what I did and there they were and Prince says put it over there and I said okay and I put it right next to this thing I'd never seen before that I was now going to play and it was called an Oberheim four voice um, which was a newfangled uh, synthesizer and I had no clue about synthesizers but I learned First rehearsal was interesting.
0: Was it hours long or was it, you
1: know? Probably, but they had to teach me, they had to teach me the synthesizer part, the horn synthesizer part for um, soft and wet. And for some reason, I was not getting the right accent on that horn part. And Prince would come over and stand behind me and say, Now play this. And I'd say, Okay. And I go, But up, but up, but up. And he goes, No, not like that, like this. But up, 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 but up. I go, Okay. But up, 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 but up. No, not like that, like this. <laughs> it was like having your mother stand behind you and, you know, practice, Gail, practice. But I got it. And I did it the exact same way for thereafter. But it was fun, so that was my first rehearsal. Uh, finally, the the band, you know, I, I was meshing with the band in the way they wanted me to, so that was good.
0: Who who else was that? <laughs> um, uh,
1: let's see. It was. I think Des was there. I think he was. But everyone was there except Matt by that time. Matt came after.
0: That's because he had not yet become part of it?
1: He hadn't yet auditioned. They knew they needed another keyboard player. Because even though though I did rhythm really well, uh, Prince really appreciated my rhythmic abilities. But I was not a lead player at that time. I just wasn't. And Matt was prolific at playing lead. I mean, he could lickety-split play through stuff that I would fumble over like like a toddler. (laughs) I mean, even after years of doing certain things, it's funny how muscle memory works to expand from from something that is in muscle memory to doing something off the cuff that's completely different. It just, I had to really work at it. So I stuck with the rhythm. He did all the mini Moog lead parts that required fast work. And, um, but I could do fast rhythm work. It was almost like drumming, you know, keeping the rhythm on on the keyboard. So that was...
0: 20, Again, that first yeah.
1: rehearsal
0: then, was that was at 78 or 79? Uh, 1978. And so what did um, sort of the routine or regimen become, you know, once you did that first rehearsal? Was it a daily thing? Was it every other day? How much, you know, what was it like?
1: I honestly don't remember. Rehearsals generally were several hours, but we loved it. But I, I honestly don't remember that part of it. I mean, we'd rehearse for a while, we'd take breaks. When we would take breaks, Prince would continue working on stuff. And then we'd all come back.
0: What, what were your first or earliest impressions of, of Prince like?
1: Um, my first early impressions were that he was amazingly talented and knew precisely what he wanted because he'd had that opportunity to spend time developing what he wanted. Um, and I was envious of that. I thought that was really cool. But he also had an ego as big as the houses he stepped into. And there was nothing wrong with that. He kind of needed that because of the things that were starting to happen for him. And he needed to be in control, not only of his, his vision, but his abilities. And I don't think he ever took it for granted. Other things he took for granted, but not his music and not what he wanted to do and become. That was evident from the beginning.
0: As you spent more time with him did he become Seem more of a you know get more of a sense of the full person or was it always just that like side of him that you were exposed to
1: Can you ask that a different way <laughs>
0: um, Well d- Did you ever get to um, maybe hang out with him at all aside from music did you get to see other sides of prince than just you know being the taskmaster at rehearsals and leading the musical Yeah vision?
1: a little um we did ha- hang out a couple of in a couple of ways when he got a new jeep I I had never had a new car before and I said wow can I can I take a ride in it And he said, sure. So he came over and he picked me up and we went driving around and um, he let me drive it. And I think I scared the crap out of him, but um, (laughs) he let me drive it. We had a good time. Uh, We also went to, I think it was Prince and me and Andre went to the McCoy Tyner concert together at the theater in, in the round in Minneapolis and that was an experience. I mean all of all three of us I think were absolutely riveted watching this concert when the bass player took a solo and busted a string in the middle of the solo. So while he is soloing we're watching the guitar tech come out and restring it and tune it up for him while he's playing his solo like nothing happened. Seamless. It was was seamless. And that was an incredible thing to watch and see their reactions as well. Um, Did I ever really get to know Prince really personally? No, not really. Um, I think we were friendly with each other, but, you know, it wasn't like we had any real depth and I mean he, he knew his friends he knew Andre he knew Bobby and he was a guy in his teens
0: yeah <laughs> well you hear, you hear a lot about you know he had this great sense of humor did you see any of that?
1: oh yeah there was that um, he was pretty funny um, airport stunts Lots of airport stunts. Uh, And I think they've all been talked about and written about, but uh, some of the most memorable ones are, you know, he would, we would all attempt to dress like rock stars and go to the airport and get on the planes. But um, while we're waiting, he would sit in wheelchairs and pretend to be um, crippled, which really isn't funny. But if you're in your late teens and early twenties and you're watching, watching somebody pretend to be crippled and people would come by and help him. We'd be cracking up on the sidelines, just because it was really silly and it was fun. There were things, there were bad things that happened too. Stuff would go a little far. I can't remember all the details, um, but somehow we were on board an airplane and, A um, fire extinguisher ended up in somebody's, one of our bags, and I think it was one of the guys, it was either either Des or Matt and Prince, and one of those two got dragged off the plane and uh, they held up the flight. The rest of us flew on and they ended up coming later, but I don't remember if they were pressed with charges or not, but... It's out there in some of the books. I know that.
0: What about um, the other band members? You know, who were you closest to or feel most a connection to? And um, can you speak a little bit to sort of just, you know, what their personalities were like?
1: What were their personalities like? Um, Bobby was reserved. um at least with me i don't know how he was with the guys um matt was always friendly and probably more curious than the other guys andre was always pleasant a nice guy um des i've always appreciated his um, he's very outgoing, very smart, very outgoing. And um, I probably had better conversations with him than anybody. Even, even recently in this last year, um, I reconnected with Des. And of course, Des was kind of my hostage because he didn't have a car and I drove him around during the celebration. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to talk a lot. But um, I can't say as I really got to know any of them very well. I worked for two years in the band and they uh, <clears throat> I found that being the only girl in the band was uh, kind of a difficult thing because I was the only girl. <laughs> and I can remember the guys complaining once that why, why does Gail always get her own hotel room? And I would say things like, well, I'm happy to share a room with you so you guys can have some privacy, that's fine. You just have to remember that I'm a bitch when I get my period and um, I need 45 minutes to do my hair and makeup in the bathroom with the door locked. (laughs) Stuff like that, you know.
0: So from those rehearsals, um, what came first in terms of, you know, what what was the first performance? Um, Did you get to work on any um, studio stuff?
1: Um, We were at a place in Colorado. I think it was called Mountain High Studio. My memory's not so hot, I guess. Um, We were we were there specifically to record music that we'd written, and um, Prince brought us out there because you we were his first band. He wanted to be able to record for whatever purpose. what we could do. Which was really cool. It was also uh, the first time anybody had recorded If I Love You Tonight, and he wanted me to sing it. I was like, Okay.
0: And was was that the stuff that came to be done as the rebels? Yes. And some of those songs ended up on other projects and some still haven't come out, right?
1: Some have never really gone anywhere. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm not aware because I haven't really followed things over the years. I've done other things for a living, but um, I've had to, I, I haven't really been aware of what other projects they've been involved with, but I, I haven't heard any of the stuff ever come out any place else. So, I mean, I always, I always found humor in, in like Andre's song, Thrill You, Kill You, or Dez's song of Disco Away, because he was not a fan of disco. So D-I-S-G-O, Away, Disco Away. It was funny. Yeah.
0: Did, did you guys uh, think or, or hope that that was going to come out around that time as its actual own? I uh, think
1: record? we did. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think we probably did want it to come out. Um, but then we weren't in charge. We didn't know what he was going to do.
0: <laughs> now I knew what he was going to do, I don't think. So um, So I saw Prince's first West Coast performance at the Roxy on Sunset Boulevard in <coughs> Hollywood in 1979. And... I think he only played one or two other shows before that. Um, Do you recall recall that?
1: I know we played there. I don't remember the event. I know we played there and I was sober as a stone, but there's a lot of things that I know I was there. I've seen the pictures, but I, I really don't remember. It was a blur. There was a lot going on. Um, I think that may have actually been at the same time that we went out to Hollywood for the first time. And it was, I think when Prince initially told us that we were to dress like rock stars 100% of the time. And so I, I pursued that question and I said, what exactly does that mean and he said that means you're to dress like you're on stage at all times i said so when i get up in the morning and i go down to breakfast at the hotel i'm supposed to be dressed in my stage clothes and he said yes (laughs) i got all dolled up in my stage clothes looking like a whore and went down to eat breakfast in the hotel the next morning you know so like 'Cause you know, you gotta wear the heavy makeup and do the hair and the boots and the tight clothes and the spandex and all that jazz. That's so her. Her. <laughs> yeah, the wave was just kinda like, um, can I help you? Yeah, I'd like to have breakfast. I'll have a cup of coffee and two eggs. Thank you.
0: That, it uh, was a
1: learning curve for sure. Um, it might have been that time frame, but we were also out there to do other things too. We did um, we did Don Kirshner's rock concert, or or uh, Dick Clark, Dick Clark and uh, American Bandstand, and um, what was it, Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack?
0: Yeah,
1: we had um, Doctor Hook and the Medicine Show hosting that particular one. particular shot so i don't know if the roxy was during that same time period that we were out there doing that or
0: if that was some other time the thing i'll never forget about the roxy show is that um he only sang falsetto (laughs) then uh he was not doing anything with the regular voice yet and he was wearing just the leg warmers and the bikini briefs and um you know, a lot of the, um, the, I was sitting next to like, you know, some 20, 30 year old brothers and they were not knowing what to make of him. And, and uh, they were actually yelling, you know, at times princess at him and cause they were, you know, trying to be macho and women though, right from the get go, the women there were just falling, fawning over him. They were hooked right away.
1: Yeah. Women loved him. I can remember when some of the antics started on stage between him and me. Um, women did not like me. Women would yell really nasty things at me. Particularly the the black women, they would they did not like. They did not like our antics on stage. It's like get away from him.
0: A <laughs> job. You want my job? Come up here and do my job job <laughs> were those antics uh, part of the shtick from the very first shows
1: no i think they developed because um he loved the idea of dancers and um there was a lot of that going on the solid gold dancers you know were a big deal on some of those tv shows and um we all liked groove movements, you know, it was the the music, the music itself lends itself to dance and movement. And um, he wanted that. And so it was slowly stuff he introduced. One of the things that he, that we tried to copy initially was from Bob Fosse's dance troupe. Um, And it was in some show that we'd all seen where, um, the gal was on, was doing a back bend, and the person was pretending to play keyboards on her stomach. So we tried to replicate that, um, and some of it was just entertaining, fun, getting a reaction.
0: So, so well, in that well, that second album you know, um, the Prince album. That's the one, um, you know, there were tracks on there that really lent themselves to that, like Sexy Dancer and Bambi. Mm-hmm, that
1: kind mm-hmm.
0: of stuff, the first record didn't really contain, you know, stuff that was as overtly sexual, I would say. Right. Yeah. Um, do you remember, uh, so were you part of the band when he actually recorded this? this one, or I'm trying to...
1: I think so. He he paid us all a stipend of, I think it was $250 a week to stay with the band while he went out and recorded in L.A.
0: So did you so, have any idea, did he share with you what the tracks were so you'd be able to learn them and, and play them quickly?
1: Um. You know, you're actually helping my memory. This is great. Great questions. Um, I think that's the time when we ended up moving to some top floor um, rehearsal space, which is where we started working on that music and the stuff we were going to do for the Rebels. So wherever that rehearsal space was, it was downtown Minneapolis and in a building that was used primarily for rehearsal space where musicians could come in and make lots of noise and not bother anybody. So we were on the top floor in a room, but yes, uh, after something was ready to be worked on, we started working on it.
0: Did you ever uh, play anything for you guys? Like, I want to be your lover and say, you know, get your, Feedback or see if you thought it was a cool song that he should do or anything. like no.
1: that. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, no. This is what we're working on. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, Prince, Prince didn't need our opinions. I mean, I think if we gave it and it was relevant, he not only acknowledged it, but would go work with it. But I don't, he never asked me. He might've asked the other guys. I don't know, Um, but that's not my experience. Um, But generally speaking, I think Prince knew what he wanted. I mean, I think from what I've heard in the last two times I've been to Minneapolis for these types of, uh, events where all the people that work for him get together. I have, I, I left with the impression that his whole life Prince would go do and record and play and put it down and then come out and then say, you know, after a while, uh, it'd be here it is. And then people would work with it and say, this isn't working. And he'd go, Okay, then he'd go back and do more with it and come back. Uh, And usually it was engineers that would have things to say. I think one of the most interesting ones that I learned about was uh, When Doves Cry, apparently it was a full production with all kinds of instrumentation. And they they took out the bass and a few other instruments and decided this is the way it should be and uh, it worked.
0: Do you recall, uh, Gail, like, would you, you know, hear what he had done and were you impressed, you know, did you think, wow, this guy is really making some amazing things and I'm kind of amazed that he can um, (laughs) do it so quickly and, um, you know, What was it like being right next to and so intimately involved with that talent?
1: In ways, it was like being on the edge of your seat. In other ways, it was like um, you didn't know what was coming next, but it didn't matter as long as you were there. I was happy to be there and, and working with them. It was... Um, it was an incredible experience just to be with other people that had the same drive and imagination musically Um, my imagination that's not to say that my imagination is like his or was like his Um, mine was different I'm a different person but the drive to continually keep putting it out to keep working it to um, continue to tweak, perfect, come up with new stuff, set something aside and work on something else, come back to it, categorize it, um, record it, make it better, get the band going on it. It it was just an immense amount of fun, but a lot of detailed work that um, you just uh, it's a different kind of school, the school of life, you know. I can remember similar things in school where you'd be working on projects and you only had so much time to do it in and then you had a performance. And so in that respect, some of that was kind of like that, except on a much larger scale, your entire life was wrapped around the object of, Getting this performance right for this person, because it's his name on there, and your part is his picture. You know, Wonderful. it meant something. It, it it meant something to all of us, I think.